Hear the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 20. When the priest Peshar, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day, when Peshar released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord's name for you is not Peshar, but terror on every side. For this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes, you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I will give all Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put them to the sword. I will deliver all the wealth of the city into the hands of their enemies, all its products, all its valuables, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah. They will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. And you, Peshar, and all who live in your house will go into exile in Babylon. There you will die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side, denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, Let me see your vengeance on them. For you, I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the, in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to, the end, and to end my days in shame? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. It's so good to be with all of you this morning. Just got back from vacation um, with my family, and we were gone for a week. And I love being able to come to my own house, to my own home, lay down in my own bed, take my own shower, and be all that stuff. It's just wonderful to be home, but honestly, it doesn't feel truly at home until I come here with all of you. Oh. (laughs) Thank you for whoever did that. I appreciate that. 
I just want to say thank you for making this, this place, this group feel like home to me and my family. We're continuing our series through the book of Jeremiah the prophet. And our text today is a very happy, feel-good text for Good Summer Sunday. Yeah, okay. For some reason, um, I'm getting a lot of dark texts lately. I don't know what this means about me. Um, the last time you guys remember, I preached a few weeks back. It was on Jeremiah 7, the huge judgment sermon uh, um, that was cast upon the people. So I get a lot of the judgment texts. And that could be a lot of what the Old Testament is, but it seems to be falling on me a lot lately. So... I don't know why it's falling on me. Gina used to, would say that my theme song of my life should be Everything is Awesome from the Lego movie. So for the dark text to be falling on me, it's, I'm not sure. But this text, this dark text comes from a very dark time in the life of the prophet Jeremiah. And it makes me think of the phrase, the dark night of the soul, or a dark night of the soul. This term dark night has become a sort of a catchphrase that means to go through a spiritual depression or hard or dark or suffering period along one's spiritual journey. This phrase came from a poem called A Dark Night by a monk named St. John of the Cross from the 1500s. And that's what's happening here. Jeremiah was going through his dark night, his dark period, a suffering, a hard period for him in Jeremiah 20. And it's big, and it's extreme, and honestly, it's very, very understandable. This was the low point of his life and ministry. Scholars have called this time of lament by Jeremiah, Jeremiah's saddest and bitterest moment, and the most honest expression of his deepest emotions are expressed here in Jeremiah chapter 20. And so for us to understand this chapter, we, let's review some of the events prior. I want to focus your attention on chapter 20, but which records Jeremiah's, this is his fifth and final confession, but it'll help you to understand a little bit of chapter 19 and 18 beforehand. In chapter 18, God sent Jeremiah to the local pottery as an illustration of his utter sovereignty and judgment over Jerusalem. And chapter 19 advances his theme of pottery, and God commands Jeremiah to purchase earthenware, a flask, as an illustration of his coming judgment. God then sent Jeremiah to the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. Now, if that sounds familiar, and I don't know if any of you guys sound, if that sounds familiar to anybody else, it's because that's the place that we talked about in Jeremiah chapter 7. Remember that place where I said in Greek was translated to Gehenna? Anybody remember this? Now, do you remember this? The Greek word Gehenna is a New Testament word that was usually translated hell. But historically, it refers to a valley just outside the walls of Jerusalem, which was built on a mountain. So Jerusalem was built on a mountain, and there's a valley right outside of them, and called the hills of Hinnom, which also was translated to Gehenna. This is used as, as Jesus' translation is used as the word hell, because this area is a picture of final judgment in chapters, Jeremiah chapter 7, and here again in Jeremiah chapter 20. It's a symbol of divine judgment. Through Jeremiah, God warned Jerusalem that judgment was coming. And the judgment would be so severe, the death toll so high, that there would be insufficient place in the usual burial grounds to dispose of the corpses. It said dead bodies would be piled so high 
It would become a place of slaughter, that bodies would be exposed to the elements. Historians tell us that's exactly what happened, precisely as God warned. When Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem in 587, that's exactly what happened. Corpses were flung into Gehenna because there was nowhere else to bury them. In fact, Josephus tells us the same thing happened in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. When Jews in the first century heard Jesus speaking of Gehenna, they would have thought of Jeremiah 7 and 19. Gehenna represented divine judgment, a place of slaughter where God's enemies were executed and dead bodies piled for scavengers to consume. That's what Jeremiah prophesied in chapter 19, this prophecy that we also see so upset this guy named Pashur in chapter 20. And Sidney came up to me and said, how do I pronounce that word, Pashur? Pasher? Pasher. I feel like I have to say a pasher like that. No other reason. It's just more fun to say it that way. Chapter 20 is the response of unbelieving Israel to Jeremiah's warnings. And it's depressing. Yeah, it's very instructive. You see, it's, this chapter 20 is divided up into two sections. One through six is just the narrative. But then verses seven through 18 is Jeremiah's heart poured out. So in the first part, we see when the priest Pashur, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. So Pashur, the priest, the son of Immer, was head of, kind of like the head of security at the temple. And he's angry at what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah is pronouncing crazy judgment, and he's angry about it. So he took matters into his own hands. He beat Jeremiah up. You know, and then he put him in the stocks. He put him in, uh, he put him in this type of kind of like the rack. It's 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 a it's a torture device where you put your wrists and ankles and neck, and you were bound, and your body was contorted painfully. It's it was a form of torture for people, a public form of torture. Now, astonishingly, these stocks are never commanded or condoned in any of the Old Testament narrative but they were placed at a prominent area of the temple compound. So the first question you have to ask is, why in the world is this device even there? That's how far these people have fallen. That right at the main part of the temple is a torture device. And it says, in the upper, upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord, this is where the, to the, where the prisoner's shame could extract the maximum public attention. And this, for me, reminds me of some of the crucifixion in the Old New Testament. See, they're both deliberately designed to maximize the recipient's pain and public shame. Jeremiah had been threatened on several occasions prior to this, but this is the first time where he was actually physically assaulted. So here's Jeremiah already being ridiculed. He's been ridiculed. He's been giving this message of judgment and repentance, but now ridicule wasn't enough. The temple official decides to take it into his own hands. He beats up Jeremiah. He puts him into a tortured device publicly at the place of worship so that everybody could see him. The next day, Jeremiah was released. Someone thought maybe he was released because Pasher was repentant or sorry for what he did, but I believe he was released because his point was made. He's been tortured, publicly humiliated, damage was done. He insulted God's appointed messenger. Then Jeremiah speaks out against Pasher. He renames him terror on every side, which actually is, he renamed him Magor Misabib. 
Megor Misabib. I didn't ask you to read that. If you actually read that, I believe in the NKJV, they would make you say that, but no. Magor Misabib was actually translated terror on every side. So his name was actually Magor Misabib, which is translated terror on every side. And the reason I say that because Jeremiah had already used that Hebrew term, Magor Misabib, to, to, to describe God's judgment upon Judah in, in Jeremiah 6.25. And he used it, we'll use it again three times more in chapters 46, 49, and, 20, uh, and 29. Here, however, Jeremiah applies the term as a name for Pasher, who would thereby become the personification of God's judgment upon Judah. So what happened is... Jeremiah is now pronouncing terror on every side. Terror on every side will become your name, Pasher, because you are now becoming the personification of divine judgment. You, who took God's divine messenger and beat him and mocked him and ridiculed him, you will be the representative of what's going to happen. I'm going to use your name as representative of what's going to happen to all of Israel because that's what they've done. They've mocked their Lord, their God. So for Pasher, the name change was a prophecy that he and all his loved ones and what we see turned out the whole city of Jerusalem would fall to Babylonians. And this is the first time in Jeremiah that the Babylon is actually identified as God's instrument of judgment. And then the rest of the, this chapter is Jeremiah's cry out to God in his darkness in light of all that had happened. There are times in the Bible when God's messengers are opposed and seemingly leaves them emotionally unaffected. Elijah was opposed and seemingly unperturbed, called fire from heaven to destroy his enemies. Elisha was mocked by a group of youths, and he simply called bears from the forest to, to get maul them. Jesus told his disciples to shake rejection off like dust from the feet. Were chapter 20 to end with verse 6, we might think that this was the case with Jeremiah. Opposed, he responded with a strong condemnation of ones rejecting God's truth, like Elijah or Elisha. But Jeremiah's response in private shows just how deeply he was affected by the opposition he faced. Yet even in his face of deep emotional despair, Jeremiah realized that this calling was inescapable. What I mean to say is that you see many prophets throughout the Old Testament be opposed, but they seem to kind of shake it off. They seem to be, well, judgment's coming to you anyway, ha ha. And if it left in that chapter 6, then it would be like, that's what Jeremiah seems to be doing. But that's not what happened. We see a little bit into the glimpse of the prophet. And we see his heart. And here's what his heart says. It is absolutely wrecked and broken. To the point of despair and depression. He's pouring his heart out, doing the will of God, serving what he believes with truthfully, an earnest plea for people to repent and to turn from their wicked ways, to follow a God that knows them and loves them. They're not listening, so his heart is wrecked and broken. The way Jeremiah responded to this dark night teaches us important lessons about responding biblically in our own dark night. And I want to start off this next little bit that I want to share with you guys by saying this. I know that talking about dark night and a dark time in depression is not typically sound for a July sermon. This topic is typically meant for like a January sermon. 
You know what I'm saying? When it's cold outside and it's dark at five and you're like in seasonal depression mode because Christmas is done, you're like, ugh. July is like, whoo, sun is out, we're having barbecues, let's go to the pool, we just got back from vacation, life is good, right? But you know, to be completely real, and the older that I get in life, I feel like the more and more I have to hold intention in my own heart and life most all the time, that there is always a dark night. Am I right? I live, I feel like, in this constant weird tension of like being like, yay, everything is awesome, happy all the time, to at any moment I literally could just cry. Is that a weird place? Am I the only one that kind of lives there? Right? I think when we come to face the realizations of the world we live in and actually have empathy and start feeling deeply with the hurts of the people around us and we actually start emotionally connecting, we realize that's kind of our reality, isn't it? And when you start having kids and you have families and you have friends and you care about what they're going through and what you're feeling, what they're feeling, that's your reality. And can I tell you something? That's okay. Some of you guys might feel like, well, I go from happy to sad. I can go from crying to laughing. I feel like I'm, I'm two different people. No, that's human. That's the way God made you in his image. And it's okay. That's how we live in this broken world. So I want us to look at first some messages and important points from, that we can get from Jeremiah. Number one, I want you to know that it's okay and normal to have a dark night. I want you to know that it's okay and normal to have dark season. I want you to know that it's okay and normal to have dark periods. I want you to know that you can even be dark however long. St. Teresa of Avila, very famous St. Mother Teresa, you guys know who that is? Was known to reside in a dark night for most of her life. She would admit that. She said that in her writings. It wasn't until towards the end of her life where she said she finally felt released from the dark night period. Jeremiah, one of the major prophets, was often called the weeping prophet. Just because you aren't built like some other people, just because your life isn't going the way others are, doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. Hear me. Jeremiah didn't just have one dark night. He lived in this state for most of his prophetic career. My beloved people, please hear me. It is not anti-Christian, anti-Christian to have doubts or to struggle or to feel sad or to be depressed. Please take that lie out of your life. But in those moments, turn to God. Even in the way Jeremiah did. Know your, my first point that it is okay and normal to have dark nights, to be in dark periods. Do you hear me? Nod your heads if you hear me. Don't miss that. I don't know, there are some of you who've heard some bad teaching bad lies that you believe and because you're sad, you're not being faithful to God. That is not true. Okay? You with me? The second lesson is this though. Like Jeremiah, you go to the Lord. 
That in your sadness, in your depression, in your dark night, you turn to the Lord. And I love how Jeremiah does this. starts off, he says this to God. He says, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. Jeremiah's honesty in prayer is startling. At several points, he he almost, if not actually, crosses the line. But the main point is that he took it to the Lord with openness and honesty. One scholar observes the verb deceived is so bold and offensive to religious sensibilities that some have tried to soften it by translating it to persuaded or enticed. So that the verse does not seem to diverge on blasphemy. In its intensive form as here though, the verb means to seduce. So Jeremiah felt that the Lord had intended to deceive him and had prevailed in doing so. The reason that he felt this way, he stated plainly, he says, I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. It's like he's saying, I didn't sign up to be mocked. Of course, Jeremiah had no real grounds for feeling deceived. God told him from the outset that people would not listen to him. He was experiencing precisely what God had promised him. Nevertheless, he felt deceived and he did the right thing. He prayed about it. And sometimes we feel like Jeremiah, don't we? God, I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't the deal we talked about, right? God, I kind of wanted a clean, perfect life uh, with really healthy kids and a dog and a house with a fence. This is not what I signed up for, right? I wasn't supposed to suffer, I mean, a little bit here and there, but not really suffer. Am I right? No major issues or worries or concerns. Now, God never promised any of us that deal. There's not a single one of you that God on the side was like, hey, you, I got you. Let's make this deal together. Not a single one of you. But for some reason, we sometimes feel like Jeremiah, don't we? God, you tricked me. God, you tricked me. I thought if I follow you, I thought if I became a Christian, everything would be smooth sailing. It'd be so easy. Life would have no problems. Once again, I'll say this, God never said that. God never, he said the opposite, by the way, in case you're actually wondering. God said, in this life, you will have trouble. As a matter of fact, he said, he was part persecuted, you will also be persecuted. Okay, so just saying, just want to let you guys in on that. He said the opposite. But he promised something better. You'll be persecuted. You'll have trouble. But you'll have him. And it's so much better. But the point is that even in this raw honesty, even in this wrong teaching element, Jeremiah went to God. He went to God with it. He went to God in his honesty, in his realness. Even in his wrong thinking, he still went to God and said, this is the real me. I feel like, God, you tricked me. Which leads me to my third point. It's good to be completely real with God when you go to him. Even if you're wrong, even if you're wrong when you go to him, let the word of God and the spirit of God show you where you are wrong when you go to him. Jeremiah cries out in his anguish, why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? He laments even being born. That is the depth of his darkness and in the place of realness, he goes to God. I mean, in the midst of his dark depression, he 
says the wrong thing. He says the opposite of what God actually said to him. He says the wrong thing, but he even goes so far as to say, God, I wish I wasn't born. Why didn't, he goes, I mean, he uses extreme language. I wish the day that I was born was cursed. I wish even that maybe that my life was ended in the womb. He says everything wrong. But he goes to the right source. I want you to hear me. You don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to say all the right things. You just need to go to the right person. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? I will say it again. (laughs) You don't have to have the right answers or the right words. You need to go to the right person. In the poem, A Dark Night, that I mentioned earlier, it talks about going to God in secret and impaired by oneself. It says this, one dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, ah, the sheer grace, I went out unseen, my house being now all stilled, in darkness insecure, by the secret ladder disguised, ah, the sheer grace, in darkness and concealment, my house being now all stilled. This image of darkness and concealment in my mind shows an idea of being able to let down guards and barriers and be real with God. The sheer grace of that. I love the image of secret ladder disguised. This image of a ladder, this idea of prayer, this connecting point to God. The image of of this concealment, this house being stilled, is this idea of saying, God, in my darkness, in my aloneness, in my realness, in my rawness, I go to you. Go to God with your hurt, your frustrations, your questions, your issues. Go in all your ugliness. It's not like he doesn't know it already. That is the sheer grace of our God. We can come as we are. He already knows us, and he knows what we're going through because of our fourth point. Point four, Jesus experienced a dark night. Jesus went to Gehenna. I want you to hear this. Jesus went to the dumping grounds of Jerusalem, to a place where bodies were laid out to be exposed. He was made a public spectacle that was ridiculed by the masses. He went through the darkest night so he can receive you when you go to him. He knows the suffering. He knows the hurt. He went through the worst of it to give us hope that it isn't without purpose and it wasn't meaningless. Because of what Jesus did, our suffering, our dark nights have meaning and purpose. It's working out in us a peculiar glory, a molding and shaping that leads us to be more like him. So when we go to him, we go to the one who knows the pain, who has experienced it, and that makes all the difference, doesn't it? I, I know it does for me. And just to be real with you, my season of dark night most often revolves around my frustration with God over autism. And let me be completely clear, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I love completely and totally my son. I love who he is, every little thing about him, every little bit about that boy I love. 
But sometimes it's really hard to see what connect with his friends and not know how. It's really hard as a social person myself to see my boy be the left out one. to deal with autism. And I was at a summer network retreat recently, and I ran into a pastor who has a son on the spectrum. And immediately there was this connection, this sort of understanding we had for each other that bonded and connected us. I've never met this guy before. But it was easy for me to share with him, and it, he got what I was saying. He got the fears that I, I, I experienced. He understood um, my frustrations. And he, he, he was like, I, I got you, man. I understand everything you're saying. And it made all the difference. He knew what I felt, my fears and concerns, and he got it. And it made a world of a difference to me. Jesus gets it. He knows your fear, your concerns. He understands. Not only does he understand, he defeated our true enemy. Because he went through Gehenna. Because he received divine judgment. Our hope is that all that is dark in this world will be made light. That the hurts and suffering we experience will be made right. When we go to Jesus in our dark night, we are reminded that he is coming to make all things new. So even in our dark nights, we can live in this ideal, this beautiful hope. And even in my prayers for my son, my ultimate hope is one, because Jesus has been through Gehenna. Because he has conquered, and he's making everything that's wrong in this world right. And that's not just my hope. That is our hope. That is our hope in the gospel. I want to leave with this stanza from the poem. Dark night, I abandoned and forgot myself, laying my face on my beloved. All things ceased. I went out from myself, leaving my cares forgotten among the lilies. At the end of his dark night, St. John of the Cross abandoned and forgot himself, laying his face on his beloved. My people, Jeremiah, ran to God, my people, in your dark night, in your dark period, honestly, in your life, because right now we hold tension, darkness, and hope. In your life right now, run to Jesus. Lay your face upon your beloved and let that hope that he brings you get you through the darkest of nights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
run to you. We thank you for the love that sent Jesus to Gehenna, to the valley of slaughter, God, to be ridiculed and to be abused so that we can know that all that is wrong can be made right where divine punishment was placed upon him so we can receive your beautiful grace and relationship and now have hope that all is wrong will be made right. God, will you, God, will you help us to turn to you? In our darkest of times, will you show us how it is to live in you? God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.